So we're going to go back to the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, to the Christians at Philippi, also known as Philippians, right? And uh, this is not the Philippines, all right? So if, if you've been looking for it on the map, it's totally a different spot. Um, however, we're going to finish chapter one today. I'm going to read all of the text in its entirety, and then I'm going to break it down into sections and look at a few things that you and I can learn from. Uh, because let's just face it, who here wants to be better? I, I want to be better. I want to be better at everything I do or try to be at least, you know, there's an old saying, I'm going to, I'm going to get rich or die trying, right? I'm going to get holy or uh, die trying. I'm going to get my marriage figured out or die trying. I'm going to get parenting figured out or die trying. I want to get what it looks like to be like Christ or I'm going to die trying. That's my goal. That's my goal for all of you, that you would take serious the holiness that God's called you to live with and not just a high attendance rate on Sunday. High attendance rate on Sunday is good for your soul. It's good for refreshing you, feeding you, strengthening you. But he's more concerned about your holiness than your attendance record. And that's my prayer for all of us as we get into this part of the letter. So in verse 12 is where we're going to start. We're going to read through the rest of chapter 1. And uh, we'll break it up. We'll go a few, few things and hopefully leave here striving to be different than you came in. That's, that's the goal. So starting in verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the Apostle Paul is in prison, but it's not like a prison that we see on TV or that we see down the road. This is more of a house arrest type setting in which every four to some argue whether it's four hours, some argue whether it's 12 hours, a new set of guards would come on duty. And the Apostle Paul used that as a mission field every four or 12 hours, whatever the shifts were be. So people had to sit there for four hours. Could you imagine sitting by me for four hours and all I did was talk for four hours? And probably not about anything you enjoy because we're in Philippi. All right. We're, I mean, we're, Paul's not in Philippi, but he's writing to the Philippians and he is in prison in a Roman environment where there was a very high level of, you know, Roman pride. But Jesus actually goes, he's countercultural. Therefore, he does not elevate the Romans in the message of the gospel. So Paul is telling the Roman guards how they should bow before Jesus and how they should surrender to Jesus and not Caesar. And you can imagine for four hours listening to a foreigner tell you about how pathetic your nation is with the message of the gospel. But to them, it was not of hope. To them, it was something that opposed their Roman citizenship. But the Apostle Paul, every four hours, every 12 hours, would say, hey, as he would probably laugh and say, hey, it's going to be a good night, you know, and, and then preach the gospel. So the entire imperial guard is getting to hear the gospel. So let's keep going. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, listen to this, whether by life or by death. For to me, everyone knows this, right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's a whole lot to that. But, you know, if you were to title this, uh, we did a study years, I don't know how many years ago up in Sunday school. And, you know, we all have those little booklets and every booklet comes with 13 sessions and those 13 sessions have a title and those titles break down a section of scripture. And, you know, I was reading through that booklet this week and, and the title of the study or the lesson that we did in Sunday school, however long ago, whatever day it was, I don't know, was titled Joy in Adversity. Joy in Adversity. So let's go back to what the Apostle Paul starts with from the very, very beginning. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That it become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for what? For Christ. So Paul is viewing his imprisonment for preaching the gospel as a good thing. Okay, so now we're going to get into the you know, the, the fibers of your heart and your soul, and maybe it address the selfishness or the self-righteous or the self-centeredness of who you and I are. Okay, let's just do that for a moment. We're just going to go right out of the gate throwing all the haymakers. Let's just face it. You and I, if we are not careful, associate good things with God's love. Do we not? Oh, I got the new job. God must love me. I mean, let's just be honest, we're, we're, we're all probably guilty of this at times. Oh, God healed my body, therefore he must love me. I didn't get the job, therefore God must reject me. He must not love me enough. So, so if we aren't careful, we will associate God's blessing, God's love, even God's favor with good things that happen. We bought the new car. God really is good. And then you're drowning in debt for nine years. You know, like, let, let's not misinterpret God's love. Did you know that when you face moments of life that aren't enjoyable, you can still receive favor, blessing, and love from God? So here's what I want, want you to kind of look at your own life. There are moments in life, I don't know anyone here, but has anyone here ever lived a perfect life and none has ever happened? Nope. I mean, who here, something has happened in your life and it was not enjoyable, right? So, so my goal is that you and I understand that there are moments in life that aren't always enjoyable, but the goal is to always have joy in those moments that aren't enjoyable. 
the Apostle Paul is imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, the same gospel that you and I are preaching, reading through, and believing today, he's literally in prison and then will later die for the sake of Christ. But he says, hey, it's actually a good thing. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at things that come into your life as one through a new perspective of God may be glorified in this adversity. Tell me, am I right or wrong? You can glorify God whenever you get diagnosed with cancer. But we assume and associate cancer as God must not love me. Okay, so we all tracking. We all, if not careful, we will associate God's blessing, God's love, and God's favor with only good things. But when the hours get cut, we assume God's turned his back on us. When the business shuts down, we assume God's turned his back. When the doctor's reports are negative, we assume God's turned his back on us. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. When those moments of life are not enjoyable, still find joy in the Lord. Because you can glorify God just as much in those moments as you can when everything is perfect. And actually, if we're to be honest, you might be able to glorify him and find more joy in the Lord himself in those moments than you do when everything is perfect. Because if we're not careful, when things are going in our favor, we tend to glorify us like, man, I did that. I work really hard. I paid for that. I bought that. I earned that. I deserve that. So my hope is that you and I would, would mirror the Apostle Paul, that when life is not always enjoyable, we still look for joy. For the joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's my goal, that the joy of the Lord is my strength in life, because there's going to be moments in life where I am weak and hopeless. There's going to be moments in life that you endure, that you literally feel weak and hopeless. And in your own strength, it's misery, it's bitterness, it's brokenness, it's frustration, or it's even doubt as to who God is or does he love you or not. So let me encourage you by telling you, if you're facing something in your life right now that you did not foresee and you did not ask for, you can still have joy. Even if it's hard. Even if life hurts right now, even if you're walking through relationship problems, even if you're walking through financial problems, if you're walking through the loss of a loved one that you dearly miss, listen, there's not always this promise in Scripture that life is going to be enjoyable when we find our faith and put our faith and trust in Christ. But there is one promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. So even in prison, Paul is saying, hey, this is actually for God's glory. So you, when diagnosed with this or receive the bad news about this, can even say, I will use this too for God's glory. Then later on, we see the Apostle Paul address a few people that one group preaches out of love, out of love for Jesus and out of love for the Apostle Paul. And then the other group of people that he's talking to, we don't know exactly who he's talking to, but he's talking to a group of people that are preaching out of a little bit of rivalry with the Apostle Paul. And they're actually wanting the Apostle Paul to experience more affliction in prison. And something I read this week that that I have to bring up is that the Apostle Paul was addressing hypocrites, but not heretics. So these people preached the gospel, but lived completely different. However, their preaching of the gospel, the message that they proclaimed, was not heresy, meaning false or incorrect in belief, theology, or their understanding of who Jesus was. So the Apostle Paul is approaching hypocrites, not heretics. Let me just tell you something. If, you were, if we were to look around this room, there's a probability that you are sitting next to 
hopefully more so a hypocrite than a heretic. Okay? I once heard that someone doesn't go to church because he's surrounded by hypocrites. That's it. Don't go to church because I'm surrounded by hypocrites. And I had a Bible Bible professor tell that person, well, I would rather sit by them for 35 years than burn by them for eternity, right? So the goal is that you should not be either. The goal is that I'm not either a hypocrite, neither a hypocrite nor a heretic. But if Paul is proclaiming the gospel and rejoicing, he's, he would rather rejoice that he's surrounded by hypocrites than heretics who preach a false gospel. Because in both of his preaching and both the people that loved Paul and in the group of the people that hated Paul, Jesus was proclaimed. So this is where I want to encourage you. There are going to be people that you disagree with that still claim to be a Christian and you even doubt them or can't stand them. But listen, it's not about you. It's not about them. It's about Christ being proclaimed. So that's that's really hard for us, isn't it? Because we have people that we say, well, there's no way that people listen to them. There's no way that that they could help people. There's no way if people knew who they really were. Listen, that's where we have to humble ourselves and glorify God in what we do and strive to neither be a hypocrite nor a heretic. And sometimes humble ourselves to the point to understand that God will use hypocrites, too. Does he not? He does weekly, doesn't he? I mean, I'm not perfect. Although if I mislead you, I will, you can fall under the assumption that, man, he's, he's got it all together. I don't. There's moments in my life where I fail miserably. But thank God that he uses hypocrites or people that fall short to glorify his name. And then we move on into what I really want to get to, where the old saying is, to live is what? Christ, but to die is gain. Paul recognizes that it would be much better for him to die in prison. Why is that? Because he would be with Christ. But he's torn because he understands that as he spends more time here on the earth, he has the opportunity to serve more people. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So this is where we have to have that same mindset, the same attitude of, okay, whether I live another 30 years or another 70 years, I am going to make my life about Christ. Even though I know to die is gain, I, I am fully confident that I have a heavenly home awaiting me in Christ. Why do I know that? Because he promised it to me. And he's never went against his word. He's never broken a promise. So if he promises that every born-again believer and follower of his has a heavenly home awaiting him, guess what you have waiting for you as a born-again believer and follower of Christ? A heavenly home. But there's also this reality that I may not see him tomorrow. It may be another 50 years. It may be another 60 years for some of you. For some of you in this room, it may be another 70 years that you walk this earth and then you have to come up with this understanding of for the next 70 years, I must live for Christ. Because here's a a great reality. If you choose not to live for Christ, death is of no gain. Death is of no gain whatsoever. And and, and the thing that scares me to death is people wander around life thinking, you know, I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to follow this path and then I'm going to chase the money and then we're going to get divorced and then I'm going to do this and, and have no desire to truly live for Christ, but then expect death to be of some gain. When the scripture is very clear that if you and I do not live for Christ here and now, death will be no gain. It will actually be the greatest loss that we could ever suffer. 
So the Apostle Paul says to live for Christ. And something I want to encourage you to do is to ask yourself, what is it that you live for? What is it that you live for? I certainly live for my wife, certainly live for all the girls in my home. I certainly live for the opportunity to, to pastor at this church and to, and to shepherd this place and to walk alongside with some wonderful people. I get the opportunity to serve some of the best people in the world. I, I live for that. But if I live for those things more than I live for Christ, I will truly miss my mark. So I want to ask you, what is it that you live for? Do you live for your bank account? Do you live for your social media clout? Do you live for your name and your reputation? Do you live for someone else to make them happy and to just please them? Truly live for Christ. So when the Apostle Paul talks about being torn between the two, he recognizes that he gets to experience life with Christ here on the earth because he's awaiting that forever and ever in heaven because of his heavenly citizenship that he has through Christ. But then he also talks about the fact that if he gets to stay, it's for their good. Did you hear that? If he gets to stay on the earth just a little bit longer or a long time, it's actually for their good. Trust me, church, I would love to, not, to wake up one day in heaven and you don't have to turn on the news. Wouldn't that be great? There's going to be no news in heaven other than good news, right? I think that's maybe why all the news down here is always so bad, because in heaven there is no bad news. You know how nice it would be to, to wake up in heaven and have no pain in your back, right? Some of you are saying, yeah, amen, right? I woke up, I'm not kidding, this morning I went to tie my shoe and my back, I don't know what happened. I slept, I guess, really hard. It happens when you get in your 30s. You start doing things and waking up. <laughs> I thought, man, some of you all like to wait, right? There's no joint pain in heaven. There's no headaches in heaven. There's just good news, good times. There's just you and the Lord and his people. I got to interrupt for just a second. Is Tony in here? You need it downstairs. Thanks God. Thank God for T-Mobile, right? My wife texts me. That's the only reason I can interrupt my time with you all is if my wife texts me. But you know, I actually am thankful that I get to live for Christ because it's actually, and it could be possibly for your good, for me to be here. For you to be here could be for the good of other people. Did you know that there are going to be people you interact with that may only hear and see the gospel through you? You. So if you choose not to live for Christ, guess who will also choose not to live for Christ? Them. So if I choose to live for Christ and I say, okay, I'm going to die maybe in 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, but until that time comes, I know death is gain, but to live is all about Christ. And the reason is I'm going to experience the fullness of his blessing here and now, the fullness of his love here and now, the fullness of his forgiveness here and now. But then I'm also going to take part in this work of the ministry in which as I choose to live for Christ, it may actually be for the good of other people. So listen, there's people that you know right now, there's people that you're going to come into contact with in the future that do not know Christ, but they know you. And they may follow you. They may imitate you. They may learn from you. So if you choose not to live for Christ, 
it's possible, neither will they. But if you choose to live for Christ and to glorify him in all that you do, guess who may also follow suit? Them. Whoever them are in your life. So the Apostle Paul is torn. And that's the same mindset we should have. I long to see my heavenly home. But I can wait to get there. Because there are people I know and people that I love that will have no gain in death. And it's my responsibility to do everything I can to ensure that they are prepared for that. How do we do that? We choose to live for Christ. Now I conclude with verses 27 through 30. And if you're kind of going to be here over the next few weeks, next week we're going to get into chapter 2, the following week chapter 3, the following week chapter 4, and this letter gets really, really, really good. But this here is what I want to end with, because as you consider, okay, how do I live for Christ? I'm going to choose right now. Maybe you haven't done, maybe you haven't taken it serious, but, but maybe you picture those people in your life, those people that have no relationship with Christ. Those people, if they were to die right now, would have no gain. Let's face it. We all know them. Them cover spouses. Them cover children. Them cover cousins, them cover brothers and sisters, them cover our neighbors, them cover our coworkers. We all know them. So, okay, I'm going to choose to live for Christ so that them, whoever them are, whoever they are, may also follow and live for Christ. So how do we do it? And the Apostle Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, I, I picture like being a kid. Some of you might call me a kid still. I picture my kids. You know, there is nothing sweeter. Uh, yesterday, Annie Mae got to play soccer. I think it was yesterday. Alves played uh, volleyball. Addie played volleyball. You know, after every goal Annie Mae scored, she scored five goals yesterday. And uh, after every goal, she looked up. And, I'm, you know, like, take it to him. I don't care if you're five or not. Take it to him and get the ball. But, you know, after every goal she scored, she looked up and would smile. And Michaela and I were right there. That's kind of what I picture, trying to live my life in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's like every day I want to look to my heavenly father and say, was that good? Some days it's not. But but imagine, imagine every night before you go to bed, you getting to look at your heavenly father and ask him, was that approving? Was that worthy of you? Now, we're never going to live to a standard, but it's the constant pursuit of holiness and righteousness and perfection in Christ that, that I want to chase. I want to live in a day, I want to live in a way that when I turn around and look at my Heavenly Father, He might just give me a thumbs up. There are many days where it's <laughs> right here, is it not? If we're to be honest. I hope and I pray, and I know this is not in the scripture where God gives us thumbs up. It's not in the scripture where God's smiling and saying, hey, great shot or good job, like, like I do to my daughter after she scores a goal. But that's the same intimacy that I want to experience with my heavenly father. I want to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel to where on a daily basis I can be confident and know that I gave everything I got. And he might just look at me with a smile and say, good job. That's the kind of approval I want to live with. Am I ever going to obtain his perfection? Never. But thank God for his mercy and his grace that through my faith and my pursuit of holiness, that Christ will cover 
the gap. So are you, are you living for you or are you living for Christ? And to, and to make it really, really simple, you ask yourself, okay, if I'm going to live for Christ, if I were to look at my Heavenly Father right now, is it thumbs up, thumbs down? What is it? My goal is that you would take serious the manner in which you live to where you would be confident looking at him face to face. Oh, wait, you will. One day, you will. You and I, apart from what the preacher prays for us, apart from what our families pray for us, apart from how much money we give, apart from how many hours we sacrifice, we'll all stand face to face with our Lord. It's in that moment that he will gladly, joyfully welcome us home or jealously cast us away. So we have, the, we have the decision to make. We're going to live in a manner that is worthy of him. Or we won't. And to conclude, the Apostle Paul talks about the destruction that is to come for those that reject Christ, but the salvation that has come for those in Christ. But thou salvation only comes from Christ. So I am in Christ. I am a born-again believer and follower of Jesus. And I have all the utmost respect for my Lord and worship and service for my Lord and glory for the Lord, honor for the Lord. But I also have the confidence to live chasing Him. I want to be like Him. I want to look like Him. And I want to look at Him face to face one day. And guess what? I truly believe that for those of us who are welcome into eternity, just like I look at my Annie Mae after she scores a goal with a smile on my face with pure joy in my heart, I believe that's going to be the homecoming. And for those of you that choose to live for you and think, okay, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to chase the money. I'm going to chase lust. I'm going to chase this or I'm going to live in that. I'm telling you, death will be of no gain. There will be no joy whatsoever in that moment where your eyes lock with his. My plea for you is to repent of your sin and call upon the name of Christ, to be a born again believer and follower of Jesus, to be saved from your sin, knowing that one day when you see him face to face, you will joyfully be welcomed home. Let's pray. So as we get ready to pray, I just want to encourage you to to look at the life in which you live. You know, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's cute when Annie Mae smiled back at me and I gave her a thumbs up. But there was one time where she wasn't paying attention and allowed the other team to score a goal. And granted, they're four years old. You know, no one really cares, but I care because I'm competitive and I want her to succeed. I want her to win. And the more goals she makes, the more money she makes from her grandparents. So go get all the goals, right? I think they're going to give her, her credit, their credit card if she keeps playing hard. But, you know, there was one time where she was not paying attention and the other team kicked the ball and she, she dropped the ball. She missed it. They scored a goal. And I told her, I said, you got to pay attention. got to pay attention. 
but then she made up for it, right? So the reality is, is there was two responses, two reactions I gave my daughter. Or job well done. And as cute as it may be when a five-year-old looks at you after failing with their head down or smiling after succeeding, there's going to be one of two reactions that you and I receive from our Savior one of these days. It's going to be as if he wants to tell you, I wish you could go back in time and turn around and pay attention and fix yourself, or it's going to be joyfully welcome home. The choice is yours, church. We get to fix it and correct it now, put our faith and our trust in him to one day be welcomed home, or we could just not pay attention to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the faith that he can offer in that salvation. And one of these days we will stand before him and he might say, you know, back then you had your eyes on the wrong thing. You weren't paying attention. Depart from me.